Rowan's going to be speaking to us from Leviticus. We're going to be reading Leviticus chapter 23, starting at verse 1. So grab it on your Bible, grab it on your phone. You can look on the screen, uh, but the screen will be gone around Rowan's talking, so it's good to have a version of the Bible in front of you as well. Okay, let me read. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at the appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's festival of unleavened bread begins. For seven days, you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For seven days, present a food offering to the Lord. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. I'm going to pray now as Rowan comes up to share with us. Our Lord and God, we thank you for your word, the Bible. We thank you for the freedom we have to gather together and learn from it. I pray that you will be speaking through Rowan today such that we can understand truths about you and about us and about our world. And please prepare us to be ready to be, to be changed and to understand what you have to say. Amen. Thanks, Matt. Good to see you here at the EU public meeting. Uh, I want to speak to you about holidays. Let's uh, just have a flight of fancy for the moment and imagine that when you rock up to your next lecture, you know, this afternoon or a lab session or maybe tomorrow, Friday though, very few people go to uni on Friday, of course, do they? So you turn up to your next lecture and there's an announcement at the beginning and you're told, look, we've been thinking about just how hard you've all been working in your studies this semester already And in light of sort of, you know, just how much you've already done, we've decided that we're going to cancel exams and we're going to cancel all those sort of take-homes and the stew-back period and assignments. We just actually don't come in again for the rest of the semester. We think what you need to do is go on a holiday. My guess is you would feel reasonably positive about that announcement, yes? Reasonably positive. So the only question you would be left with in that circumstance would be whether you're going to take your holiday in the mountains or at the beach. That then becomes the the most important question in your life, really, at that point. Where am I going to go on holidays? Who who would say, oh, mountains? Look, I do not understand you at all if you say mountains. That's just bizarre to me. Why you would choose to go on holidays? Who says beach? Two hands, yeah, that's worth it, yes. But anyway, I, I grew up as a beach person. For me, uh, holidays was represented by those sort of couple of weeks a year where we would actually spend at the beach because I grew up in sort of the outer western suburbs, didn't live near the coast. And so that, that for me, that sort of symbolised holidays and for whatever reason, it's now deeply sort of ground into my psyche anyway. But of course, um, over this last summer, uh, we actually had a holiday in the mountains, which initially I must admit I was pretty disappointed with. 
but we actually had a fantastic time. We only broke one window in the house we rented, which was pretty good for us. So we had a fantastic time together. It was just everything you want in a holiday, right? Which is pretty much only one thing, relaxing. You just want to relax. It's interesting that, um, as a Christian speaking for myself, I don't think of holidays as particularly spiritual things. I don't know if you're a religious person or call yourself a follower of Jesus, but I don't know if you're like me. Do you think of holidays as a religious or spiritual thing? That's sort of ironic that we don't because, of course, the origin of the word holiday comes from, you guessed it, holy day. Holidays were holy days, days which were set apart, holy just means set apart, separate, different, set apart from every other day, not just so you can have sort of chillax. The idea was so that you could remember your God, so that you could actually focus, it had a, spirit, a, a deliberate spiritual intention. Now, ironically, we, and I'm speaking as Christians, we often actually take holidays as a holiday away from God. Rather than being a holy day to God, we take it as a holiday away from God. It can be, for some, the time you, don't, you, you decide to not go to church. It can be the time you decide to not sort of think about spiritual things, to not read your Bible, to give prayer a bit of a break, or, ironically, we've actually kept the resting notion, stopping work, but actually not, we've completely jettisoned the spiritual dimension. Why am I talking to you about holidays and holy days is because the EU is sort of having a bit of a look at this uh, difficult, unusual book in the Old Testament, the Christian Old Testament, this book of Leviticus and the particular chapter that we're looking at today is all about holidays or holy days. It's Leviticus chapter 23. Matt just read out the first little bit of it just for us just then. I want to think about it because very clearly in Leviticus, holy days were spiritual occasions. They had physical implications, but it was spiritual in its conception. So I want us to try to think about this um, unusual chapter. It may not be a chapter of the Bible you've ever even looked at in detail before. The question is, the big question for us is, first of all, can we understand what it's saying and make sense of it, because it's all so foreign to us? Secondly, how are we meant to interpret this in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ? What, like, what, what does it actually have to say to us today as people who are not living uh, under the Jewish Old Testament law. So there are a couple of things we're going to try and explore today. I hope on the way through to actually give you a, a few hints about, to, I guess, develop you as a reader of the Bible, as a, someone who's reading this religious text in front of us, this Word of God. Now, if you're an art student, I apologise, you do this in your sleep, right? You can interpret any text. I say, interpret the hearing loop sign, you say, yes, I could write an easy 15,100 words on, you know, that's, just interpret that and all. You, I know, you're an expert, right? But anyway, if you're a science student, you're going, interpret a text. What is a text? You talk of this thing. I don't know what you're talking... Anyway, the good thing about interpreting the Bible is, interpreting the Bible is an art. It's an art, but there is science in the art form. There's method to go about it, Right? So what we're going to do is sort of, I'm going to show you a little bit of my working today. I normally try to keep most of it hidden. I'm going to deliberately show you a little bit of my working today. As I've come to read this chapter, Leviticus 23, how am I going to make sense of it in itself and in the light of Jesus? And that's the journey we're going to go on today. And I hope at the end you actually hear the Word of God to you today. 
That's the goal. Let's see how we go in the next 25 minutes. Okay, if you've got your Bible there, it'd be super helpful to open it up. Leviticus chapter 23. Let's look at this, this chapter about the Lord's holy gatherings, special gatherings. Notice there the first couple of verses. Let me read it out to you. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed feasts or festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies or sort of holy gatherings, right? Not holy in the sense of you had to pretend you were all holy and dressed differently or something. It's just in the sense of holy set apart, right? These are just the Lord's special gatherings that he's proclaiming and asking his people to gather, okay? That's the beginning of the chapter. Now, just when we're trying to understand the Bible, we're trying to work out, right, that's, he's starting off by talking about festivals. I wonder where this is going to end. And you could just start reading. And fortunately, in this case, when you get to verse 44, you can see that this section is clearly comes to an end. So this forms a nice little unit. Have a look at verse 44, same chapter. So Moses announced to the Israelites the appointed feasts or festivals of the Lord. Right? So the whole section topped and tailed. Now, fortunately for us, the monk in the dark ages who went through and put all the chapter verses, uh, chapter numbers and the, and the verse numbers into the text, fortunately, that monk, whoever it was, did a good job in this case, right? And that's why the chapter starts, 23 and 24, because of course when it was written, there were no chapter numbers, there were no verse numbers. Someone just went through, inserted them, and in this case, did a good job. I can just look at chapter 23. That's not always true, is it? If you know your Bible, you know there's many occasions where you go, actually, I wouldn't have ended the chapter there. And that's a fair call to make. In fact, later on today, we're going to look at a section of John's Gospel, I'm going to show you that I actually think there's a, a section that goes over many chapters and actually is sort of unified and together, but if you just follow the chapter numbers, you might, get, uh, you might not see that. But in this case, the monk, thanks be to God, did a good job. Right. So, there's the beginning and end of our chapter. So, I'm going to draw a diagram as we go. This is Leviticus 23, verses 1 to 2 is our intro. And we know at the other end, we have verse 44, the conclusion or summary. Okay? So far, so good. Now, how, how am I going to work out what the sections are of this chapter? Well, in your Bible... Someone might have gone through and put some little headings. Head up if you've got some headings in your Bible, whatever you're looking at. Right, that wasn't done by the monk. That was done by some translator like 10 years ago. So who knows whether they know what they're talking about or not. So how, is there any indication in the text itself how the thing should be divided up? And the answer is yes, there is. In fact, there's a couple of repeated phrases throughout the chapter that give you a structure. I'll point out one. Go to jump to verse 22. The end of verse 22. There's a little phrase there. I am the Lord your God. Said at the end of a whole bunch of instructions. Now, if you've been with us as we looked at the book of Leviticus, you might remember that we've actually seen this marker quite a few times through the book of Leviticus. It's often used sort of to round out a section. So verse 22 appears to be the end of a section. Is it there again? It is. Verse 43. The end of verse 43. Have a look there. I am the Lord your God. So what you're getting there is you're getting a couple of clear lines. Verse 43, I am the Lord your God. And verse 22. Oh, I won't do that. 
Okay, so the chapter is divided into two halves. Okay? Are there any other markers in the text? Yes, there is. There's another repeated phrase. This time it's the phrase, the Lord said to Moses. Now, it's there at least five, no, it's there five times. It's there in verse 1, the Lord said to Moses. It's there, which we just looked at, it's there in verse 9. I'm going to put that here. The Lord said to Moses. It's there in verse 23. The Lord said to Moses. It's there in verse 26. And it's there in verse 33. The Lord said to Moses. Okay? So now we've sort of broke the chapter, just looking at the chapter itself, it divides into these sections. Now, what is actually the content of these sections? Can we see how they sort of the sections unite together? Well, you sort of can. When you read the detail of it, the very first thing that's talked about, I'll change this a little, the very first thing that's talked about in verse 3 is what? Have a look in your Bible, see if you can pick it up while I write it up. The very first festival that's talked about is the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was a weekly festival. It was something that the Jews celebrated every week. Six days a week you shall work, the seventh day you shall rest. You shall not do any work. It's a Sabbath to the Lord, a day of rest, a day where you're actually not just sort of, you know, having a break, that was part of it, but actually, actually remembering the Lord your God. Okay? And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So the first festival is the Sabbath. Then in verse 4, there's sort of like a reintroduction and now here are the festivals. So in some ways the Sabbath has been set apart from all the rest of the festivals. Why? Well, because this is weekly, every week. The other festivals happen on an annual calendar. Okay? Bit of a separation. What are the annual festivals? First of all, the one is listed is the Passover, starting in verse 5 followed immediately by the festival of unleavened bread. You know what unleavened bread is? Anyone know? Thank you. Bread with no yeast in it. You, know, you don't even know what yeast is because you just go to Woolworths and buy your bread and you think it all looks great. But do you notice when you go to Woolworths that there is some bread that is sort of large and some bread that is flat? Yes? Well, flat bread has no yeast in it because yeast makes things grow and rise, okay? The feast of unleavened bread was that for a week God's people were to not eat anything with yeast in it. So just eat flat bread. No bread that's risen. Okay? Now, these two occur in our first little section. We haven't got to our first marker in verse 9. Why are those two festivals lumped together? Very easy. It's because they follow right one after the other. The Passover was celebrated on the evening of the 14th day of the first month of their year and the Unleavened Bread Festival started the very next day. Alright? They're linked together in the calendar. But they're also linked together in terms of their history. Both of these festivals look back to the moment when the one true living God rescued his people out of Egypt, where they were in slavery. When he brought them out of slavery in Egypt, there was the one particular night where all the Israelites spread the blood of a lamb 
over the doorframe of their house and the angel of the Lord passed over the houses. Hence, the evening of the Passover, right? And such was the terrible judgment that fell upon those who refused to listen to God's instruction to do this thing um, because they just they didn't care for God. Such was the terrible destruction that actually Pharaoh said, get out of here. Like, you is like, just get out of here. And so suddenly they were let go and out they ran. But they left in such haste, we're told, that they didn't have time to add yeast to their bread and let it rise. They just had to grab the dough and go. Hence, that's why for a week afterwards they celebrated the unleavened bread. It helped them remember the dramatic moment that God rescued them in the Passover and unleavened bread. Okay? So, that was the first two festivals that are listed. What happens next? You get to the marker in verse 9. Well, this next section from verse 9 to verse 22, there's another two festivals. This time, there's the festival of, some call it first fruits, or the festival of sheaths, like sheaths of grain that you sort of harvest, followed by the feast of weeks. What are these about? Well, these two are bracketed together, not because they're back to back, but because they are both connected to the harvest time. So what would happen is, your grain grows, time to harvest it, you go out, you take your first bit of crop. You do not make bread with it, you do not give it to an animal to eat, you don't decide to use it for a piece of craft for your toddler. What you do with that is that you take it to the tent of meeting and it is offered to the Lord as a wave offering. Wave offering sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah? You wave it before the Lord as an offering. Symbolically, and in your heart, what you're doing is saying, Lord, we know that this bounty comes from you. Right? Here's, here's, we're, we're offering the first fruits of it back to you. Then, for the next uh, 50 days, for the next 50 days, you work like crazy, except for Sabbath days, you work like crazy to bring in the harvest because it's a lot... I don't know if you grew up on the land... Anyone here grew up on the land? Grain farm? Couple, right? Harvest time. Is it full on? Crazy. crazy time, right? You just have to work like crazy to bring it, and that's what they do for 50 days. They bring it all in. At the end of bringing in all the harvest, what do they do? They celebrate the festival of weeks. Why is it called weeks? Because it's been seven weeks and one day since you started the harvest. 50 days, right? Seven sevens, 49 plus one. 50, right? 50 days. It's exactly 50 days later they celebrate this festival of weeks, right? That's why these two are lumped together. Why are these four festivals lumped together in the first half? Very easy. They all happen in springtime, right? They're all in the first half of their year, the springtime festivals. What happens next? You with me so far? I'm powering through it. Here we go. You get down to verse 23, new section. What's this? Okay, first of all, you read verse 23, it says, on the first day of the seventh month. That's significant. This, this is the seventh month. There's been a few sevens already, haven't there? Seven sevens for the weeks and seven days for the unleavened bread and seven months. That's going to keep happening, okay? Just keep an eye out for that. This is the Feast of Trumpets. Anyone here play a trumpet, uh, a French horn, a trombone, anything? Hand up. Yeah, good on you. Okay. <laughs> Trumpets. What's that about? The seventh month was a special month. A holy month. A special month, right? There were more sort of...
special Sabbath days, days where you do no work, in the seventh month than any other month. You had your regular Sabbaths and then you had another three or four Sabbath days as well. Right? There are lots of Sabbath days in this month. And you start the month with this particular day where the trumpets are sounded, announcing the beginning of the month. That's the section starts verse 23. What about verse 26? You get another festival in the same month, the Day of Atonement. On the 10th day of the month, you have the Day of Atonement. We've talked about this day before. It's right at the heart of the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 16. It's the hinge point at which the whole book turns. It's the day where symbolically the Lord, the holy God, made his people holy so he could dwell in their midst. This is the most solemn of all the festivals, the Day of Atonement. When you read through Leviticus 23, all the regulations, not only do you do no work on this day, but you are to quote-unquote deny yourself, which basically I think means fast. So out of all the festivals, this is the one where you choose not to eat that particular day. It's marking it as particularly solemn. Okay? That's the 10th day. And then um, starting on the uh, 15th day, you have the final festival, the Festival of Tabernacles. Still in that seventh month. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles, or booths, B-O-O-T-H, you know, this, a tabernacle just means a tent. Quite an interesting sort of festival. What you did for this one was, for seven days, instead of living in your house, you build a tent to live in out of palm branches. Ever been bushwalking, decided to make yourself a hoochie, you know, going all natural and sort of made yourself a shelter to sleep under? Anyone have... Not a... No, a few. Thank you. Thank you, you have, right. Great. It's fantastic when you do that. Is it fun? No, no, it's not fun. Yeah, that's right. If it rains, it's not very much fun. That's just because we're not very good at building them. Anyway... In this particular festival, for a week, even if you, uh, when they got into the Promised Land and they had houses and stuff, if you lived, lived in a house, and your house had a flat roof in those days, you would build your tent out of branches on your roof and go and live in, on your roof for a week or in the porch out of your house, right? Why, why were they doing this? Why are they living in these sort of homemade natural tents? Well, it's because they are trying to remember... Again, when the Lord brought them in slavery out of Egypt. Because when they left out of Egypt, what did they sleep in? What did they sleep on? They just had to make shelters. So for a week, they remember the Lord's dramatic rescue of them. Out of the... Now, this particular festival, the Festival of Tabernacles, was, the, um, was, was incredibly lavish. It is like massive. It happens at the end of the grape harvest. Grapes um, sort of ripen over the summertime, so... These all happen in autumn, these festivals in the seventh month. It happens at the end of sort of the grape and the olive harvest and the, the sacrifices they would offer were massive. If you go to the book of Numbers and check it out, how many sacrifices to offer in these festivals. In tabernacles, seven days, or eight actually, but anyway, on the first day, you sacrifice 14 bulls, two rams and 14 lambs and one male goat, day one. Day two, 13 bulls, two rams, 14 lambs, a male goat. Day three, 12 bulls, two rams, 14 lambs, a male goat. You, you, get, you get the progression. The mathematicians are going, well, that's awesome. Let's add all that up, right? Okay. 
It, it is incredibly massive. And the whole tone of it was celebratory. You're told here in Leviticus and again in Numbers to celebrate the Lord's goodness. Okay, so there we have the festivals. That's, the, that's their festive calendar for the year. All right, that's Leviticus chapter 23. What's the significance of any of this? Really, like, what is the point? How are we to understand it? What was the point for them of doing these things? I mean, it's one thing to be told to do them, but why? What, what? Is it just ritual? Is it just do the thing? No. The rituals were always meant to be expressive of what's going on in your heart and your mind, always. It's always as a response to the relationship that the living God has established with you. So the point, what is the point of these festivals? Now, I, I think we can work it out. The way we work it out is actually, notice, what was the first festival? The Sabbath, the weekly festival. Sabbath is all about resting on the seventh day, right? Were there sevens throughout the rest of this system? There were a lot of sevens. How many festivals are there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. How many no work days were there? We'd call them public holidays because we have gotten rid of God out of our language and thinking entirely, but how many no work days were there in their annual calendar? If you go through the chapter and add it up, it's exactly seven. They're not evenly distributed, not one per festival, but it equals seven. The, the most holy month, the seventh month. The uh, Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of uh, Unleavened Bread, go for seven days. The Feast of Weeks happens after seven, lots of seven weeks plus a day. Okay, sevens are all the way through. What's that saying? What that's saying is the Sabbath day is the paradigm for understanding the rest of the festivals. It's the basic paradigm that makes sense of the others. That's why they've got at least sevens throughout them. That's why there's these no work days like the Sabbath day. So if we want to understand the festivals, you need to understand the Sabbath. So what can we say about the Sabbath day? Three things. Three things that the Sabbath was meant to do. They all start with R. Conveniently. Three things the Sabbath was meant to do, all starting with R. The first one was remember. They were to remember... God's salvation of them. Uh, you can see this, uh, you know that the uh, Ten Commandments are in your Old Testament twice, do you know that? It's in Exodus chapter 20 and it's repeated for the slow learners, which is all of us, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, right? They're there twice. Keeping the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. But in the two lists of the Ten Commandments, it's actually given a different motivation each time. It's not because they change it, it's just because they're both true. Two different motivations. When you get to Deuteronomy chapter 5, the motivation for the Sabbath day is because the Lord God has rescued you out of slavery in Egypt. So the Sabbath day was a day where you stopped and remembered your salvation, the redemption the Lord had brought for you, right? It was a remembrance day. But also it was a day of rest, a day of rest. If you go to the other place the Ten Commandments are, Exodus chapter 20, the reason for the Sabbath day day there is told because the Lord God created the world in six days, six days he worked and then on the seventh day he rested from Genesis 1 and 2. And so the whole idea is that as his creatures we are to embody, reflect in our life 
the purpose of this whole creation. See, the purpose of creation is not just to work. God worked for six days, saw it was very good and therefore rested and made the seventh day different to the others, special. It was a way in which you see the purpose of God's creation is actually realised in the rest. The point isn't the work. The point is him in relationship with what he has created. And God's people in the Old Testament were to do the same. Six days you're working so you can live. On the seventh day, stop. Just stop. And remember the relationship you have with this God who saved you. So rest, yes, rest from your labour, but it's not just so you can chillax. It's a relational rest. It's a rest in this relationship you have with God. The final R to do with the Sabbath is that it is about rejoicing. Rejoicing in all the good things God has given you. I think it's um, symbolised when, when on the Sabbath day when they're th- walking through the wilderness on the way to the Promised Land. The seventh day they weren't to collect any food, any manna. The, God would provide twice as much for them the day before. And so there's a way in which on the Sabbath day you, you have a sort of a tangible experience of God's abundant provision for you. And you, you can rejoice in that. And it's reflected in the festivals because the, the celebratory nature of the Feast of Tabernacles the celebratory nature of the Feast of Weeks, it's all about rejoicing in God's provision. So, I think there's these three things that these festivals were meant to do. Help you remember God's salvation, help you rest in your relationship with Him, help you rejoice in His goodness to you. Okay? That's what I think they were about. question for you and for me is this. In the light of Jesus Christ, what does it have to do with us? Now, this is our standard question we were reading in the Old Testament. We know that the culmination of God's work in history was in the person of Jesus. So, we read the Old Testament through him, in light of him. What do we make of this fest- these festivals in the light of Jesus? Now, if you were here last week or early in the year, I've been talking about our Leviticus toolbox, different sort of tools that we're giving ourselves for understanding this book of Leviticus. One of them was how to understand the Old Testament in the light of Jesus and we said there were three things to do. First of all is recognise that the Old Testament law code has been repealed as legislation. Second thing, that we recognise in it prophecy pointing towards Christ and the third thing was we reappropriate its details not as law for us but as wisdom understood in the light of Jesus. Right? Repealed as legislation, recognised as prophecy, reappropriated as wisdom. So, how can we apply those three to, to this chapter? Well, the first thing to say is, if you are a Christian person, if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not obliged, not expected to follow any of these festivals, any of them at all. So, I'll give you one reference you can look up later, uh, from Colossians chapter 2, verses... Uh, 16 and 17. Uh, Paul says just before it that God has, has symbolically taken the Old Testament law and nailed it to the cross with Jesus. He's put an end to it with Jesus. And then Paul says, Therefore do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink or of observing festivals, new moons or Sabbaths. New moons was they offered special sacrifices on the first day of each month, lunar calendar, that meant a new moon, right? That's talking about a different sort of sacrifice. Don't let anyone condemn you in the case of observing festivals, new moons or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come. 
but the substance belongs to Christ. So all of these festivals, like the interesting thing was when they were celebrating these as Jews, they were looking backwards, right? When they celebrate the, the, the Passover or the um, living in their tent for a week, it's all about looking back to what God had done for them, right? But actually, what Paul tells us is, no, those festivals are shadows of the coming reality. They actually point the other way. They point to the real substance, the real moment, and that was Jesus. And therefore, Paul says, so don't let anyone condemn you if you choose not to live with any of these. So that means that if you're a Christian person, you do not need to observe not just any of these festivals, you don't need to observe a Sabbath either. You don't need to observe a Sabbath day. So if, if you want to do uni work on a, on, a, on a Sabbath day, a Saturday, or if you turn it into a Sunday for yourself, that's fine. That's absolutely... Let no one condemn you in that matter unless, of course, you have a personal conscience issue with it yourself, in which case, don't go against your conscience on that. If you want to go and get a job on a Sabbath day, earn an income, you are free in Christ. The old law has gone. You are not obliged to follow it as a legislative code. You're free on Sabbath days. But if you have a conscience issue of it, of course, respect your conscience and go with that. But you are genuinely free here. There is no legislation for you. So, that's the first thing that's been repealed. Secondly, how do we reappropriate it as wisdom? I mean, Paul just said they're shadows pointing to Jesus. I want to take you somewhere a bit interesting and float with you an idea. I don't know if it's right, but I think it is. But let's talk about it later. John chapter 5. Go to John chapter 5 for a moment. Something I was reflecting on this week as I looked at this, and I think this has got really great legs. It could run a great race here, this particular idea, but we'll see. John chapter 5. I want you to bear in mind the, the ordering of the festivals we saw in Leviticus 23. And let me just point out a few verses to you, right? John chapter 5. Verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. We're not, which feast was it? We don't know. It remains nameless, just a festival. But then what happens when he gets there is he heals a guy who's been an invalid for 38 years. He heals this guy and then there's a, a ruckus, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a protest, there's a sort of a moment afterwards because he's healed this guy on the Sabbath day. He heals this guy on the Sabbath day. That's down there in verse 9. So what have we got so far? The first thing we've got as John presents what Jesus did, is you've got a mention of festivals like in the introduction here, followed by a mention of a Sabbath day. Jump to chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside, sat down with his disciples, the Jewish Passover feast was near. Next festival mentioned, Passover. So we've had the intro, the Sabbath, the Passover, jump to chapter 7. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews were there waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish feast of tabernacles was near, tabernacles, tabernacles. In these, uh, and he, he stays in the feast of tabernacles for chapter 7 and chapter 8. Now, 
So suddenly you've got, in John's presentation of Jesus, you've got this mention of just festivals in general, followed by Sabbath, Passover, and then the very last one, Tabernacles. I think, given that John has a bit of a theme that Jesus is better than everything in the Old Testament, Jesus is better than the temple, I think what you're getting here is Jesus is the fulfilment of all of that Old Testament festival stuff in the very order it's given in Leviticus chapter 23. That frames the structure of these five, uh, four chapters. And if you're not convinced yet, if you jump to uh, chapter 7, verse 37 of John's Gospel, you can see what happens on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. On the last and greatest day of the Feast, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And then down in chapter 8, in verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Two things he talks about. Come to me if you're thirsty. I am the light of the world. How does that relate to the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, the way they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles in the first century was like this. One of the things they did was they had a water ceremony beginning of each day, they'll bring water up from a particular pool and pour it out in the temple. Every day, that's what they did, poured out this water. And in the evenings, there were these candles lit up and the whole place apparently shone brightly so you could see it throughout the city. The whole festival of tabernacles was, about, was celebrated with water and light. Jesus, on the last day of the feast, stands up and says, you want water? Come to me, I, I will give you living streams of water. He says, you want light? I am the light of the world. Jesus presents himself as the one to whom all of those old festivals pointed, the one to whom if you actually come to him in faith, you have eternal life. Rescue not from slavery in Egypt, rescue from slavery to death. Eternal life found in this Jesus. So yes, we can see prophecy here pointing forwards to the reality that is in Jesus offered to every single person in the world. Finally, what wisdom is there for us in this? Well, the wisdom comes in the three R's. The point of these festivals was to remember God's salvation, to rest in your relationship with God, to rejoice in His goodness. And the interesting thing about it was they stopped in order to make them do these things. Your life is busy, even though you don't have very much to do. It's still very busy. I know that. All of our lives are busy. The one thing that's very easy to do in our life is to just keep going at your frantic pace. We hardly ever stop. Now, there's no law here if you're in Jesus Christ. There's no law that says, one day a week you must stop. There's no law. Let no one condemn you in these matters. But the wisdom that was there is that it is important in your life to stop in order to focus on remembering, rejoicing and resting. Now, I don't care how often you do it. You might say, I've got this this new plan. I've invented my new Rowan calendar. I've invented my own calendar, my own festivals. In fact, fine, you're allowed to freestyle here, right? Develop your own Christian festivals. I have half a day every month where I do this and I have two evenings a month. Whatever, create your own, go for it, freestyle. You're free in the Lord. But the wisdom that's here is make sure whatever you do in your life, can you grind into the pattern of your life remembering God's salvation of you in Jesus, actually stopping to remember that 
to rejoice in his provision for you spiritually and materially and to rest in that relationship, to stop and recognise that relationship, be rejuvenated in that relationship. You might say, look, I'm just going to do it like, I'm going to do it half an hour a day. That's how I do this. You may say, I'm, I'm going to go one day a week. You might say, I'm just going to take two months off a year. Well, I talked to one student yesterday and that's what he's got because he's got no exams and he's going on holidays tomorrow for two months. See you in July, in August. You know, like, so, whatever you're going to do, freestyle, right? It's interesting that historically the Christians worked out a calendar. You know there's no rule in the New Testament about celebrating Christmas. There's no rule in the New Testament about celebrating Easter. They were actually the last two vestiges we've got of a full annual calendar of Christian versions of trying to create their own festival so they could remember, rest and rejoice. And we've sort of jettisoned most of them, we're just left with these two vestiges, we don't even know why we do them. It's just wisdom, you don't have to celebrate those things. What are you going to do in the busiest of the next couple of weeks with exams, stubacks, essays to remember, rest and rejoice? What are you going to do? You're free. But what are you going to do?